Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cut Above with Tom Hoy is proudly sponsored by Mod Shoes. Smart shoes for smart people. Shop the latest range of men's and women's clothing and footwear over at modshoes.co.uk. From Manchester, England to Brooklyn, USA, I'm Tom Hoy and you're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio. Some folks are born made to wave the flag Ooh, they're red, white, and blue And when the band plays hail to the chief Ooh, they point the cannon at you And y'all, it ain't me It ain't me I ain't no Senator Sons It ain't me It ain't me I ain't no Washington Rock 
Hello and welcome. You're listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio. Well, wherever you're listening and whenever you're listening to this, I hope you enjoy this one because I think it will be a good one. In this episode, I'll be guiding you into the timeless world of vintage military clothing. In this captivating journey through history and style, we delve into the profound impact of military fashion on men's attire. From iconic uniforms to battlefield-inspired garments, we explore how these classic pieces have seamlessly woven their way into the fabric of men's fashion, leaving a massive impact and mark on the way we dress today. Join me, Tom Hoy, as we uncover the stories behind these historical garments, tracing their evolution from functional wartime attire to coveted fashion statements. We'll uncover nuances of design, the craftsmanship, and the enduring allure that vintage military clothing brings to contemporary menswear. There's lots to look forward to, and there's plenty music along the way as well. Remember, in the meantime, you can follow me over on Instagram at TomTheMod, on X at TomTheModDJ, and over on Facebook, you can find my page by searching for Tom Hoy. And as well, there's loads of videos for you to check out over on my YouTube channel, and the best way to find that is to search for Tom the Mod. Well, wherever you are, sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. I'm Tom Hoy, you're listening to A Cut Above, and this is the Vintage Military Clothing Special.
camouflage is one of those words that have crept into the language since the Great War. And in these days, it has a grave significance. In fact, the art of camouflage has been raised to a scientific level. And at this London studio, you see it being demonstrated on models. Factories that would make an admirable target from an air raider's point of view have been reproduced in miniature. What in wartime would be a dangerous area is being built up so that it can be tested for visibility in the same way that it would be tested under actual conditions. Artificial sunlight from a powerful lamp is directed to the area and by moving a turntable on which the models are fixed, the artist gets the effect of light and shade from various angles. An adjustable eyepiece gives the view as it would appear to a radar and the expert camouflager's job now is to spoil that view. The essence of camouflage is to conceal the fact that something's being concealed. The area must blend into the surrounding landscape as if Mother Nature and not Mr. Painter had taken a hand. So a final check with lamp for light and rule for position and in a moment those factories will have merged gracefully into the countryside, not even conspicuous by their absence. I think a good place to start with this uh, vintage military clothing special is, of course, probably the most iconic, it's not a, uh, I guess, a material, but a pattern when it comes to military clothing. It's something everyone probably thinks of straight away, and it is, of course, camouflage. Now, the history of camouflage is actually very interesting. Early history shows that it was used, obviously, for natural mimicry. The concept of blending into surroundings dates back to the prehistoric times when humans likely used natural, mater used natural materials like leaves, mud, or animal skins to conceal themselves during hunting or warfare. And ancient civilizations show historical records um, from places like Greece, uh, Egypt, and Rome where soldiers and hunters used natural elements for concealment during combat as well as hunting, just like uh, they did from pre prehistoric era. It's kind of just always been there. In the 18th century, the term camouflage originated uh, from the French word uh, camoufleur, um, which means to disguise. During this time, military units started using disguises to deceive enemies, like disguising artillery positions or ships. In World War I, the widespread use of firearms and artillery necessitated better concealment. Artists and scientists worked on creating uh, disruptive patterns and colour schemes for military uniforms and equipment to blend with their environment, uh, leading to the adoption of camouflage in various armies. In World War II, camouflage techniques advanced significantly. Uh, various nations developed specialised patterns for different terrains and combat situations, including jungle, desert and snow environments, and camouflage became a standard in military uniforms, vehicles and equipment. It's really interesting, isn't it, that it isn't just something that um, is uh, kept just for clothing, um, or it wasn't back then anyway, like mentioned in the First World War. I love that you look like an, an old um, battleship like the Bismarck, uh, the German Bismarck, and it has this really cool kind of uh, triangular pattern on, like pattern on it, and it's um, made up of greys and kind of uh, more or less kind of like navy blues. And that isn't just to make it look like nice; it is camouflage, which is um, seems insane. I remember 
one of my childhood's friends uh, dad was in the RAF um, back when they used to have paint sprayers um, and he told me that um, when he was deployed in the desert uh, I think he might have gone to Iraq um, they painted trucks pink because believe it or not when you're flying over or not flying you you see a uh, a vehicle in the distance in uh, the desert um, pink apparently is a colour you can't see too well so camouflage isn't just all those manly colours or stereotypical manly colours pink as well pink works and I love pink underrated colour so more of that please but yes anyway um, evolution and modern camouflage so post World War II the Cold War era saw further development in camouflage techniques including the use of disruptive patterns again and materials for aircraft um, vehicles and personnel and it was a time when technology started to enhance camouflage with advancements um, with technology digital camouflage was able to be adopted these patterns used pixels to create more effective concealment outside of wartime um Post-World War II, we saw civilians adopt camouflage. Um, You'll often find kind of leaf prints uh, used for hunting and wildlife photography. Um, And obviously why we're here, fashion and design. Camouflage patterns have become popular in fashion, uh, interior design and art, transcending, of course, their military origins. And today, camouflage remains an integral part of military strategies, whilst also finding diverse applications in various civilian fields beyond its initial military purpose.
We've paid for that bridge and we're going to collect. We're going to fly 35,000 men 300 miles and drop them behind enemy lines. It'll be the largest airborne operation ever mounted. Quite frankly, this kind of thing's never been attempted before. We shall seize the bridges, it's all a question of bridges, with thunderclap surprise. And hold them until they can be secured. And we go next Sunday. Seven days? The sooner we go, the better. We've got them on the run. Joseph E. Levine presents A Bridge Too Far. Based on Cornelius Ryan's international bestseller. The story of the most dramatic and devastating battle of World War II. The plan is called Operation Market Garden. Market is the airborne element and garden the ground forces. I like to think of this as one of those American Western films. Germans will naturally, they're the bad guys. We, my friends, are the cavalry on the way to the rescue. A Bridge Too Far. Starring Dirk Bogart, James Kahn, Michael Caine, Sean Connery, Edward Fox, Elliot Gould, Gene Hackman, Anthony Hopkins, Hardy Kruger, Laurence Olivier, Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford, Maximilian Schell, Lee Ullman. Take cover! Welcome back. You're listening to a curb of right here on the Face Radio for this 
Military Vintage Clothing Special. We're looking at all things Military Vintage Clothing, where it started, where you can buy it, and lots, lots more. Now, I'm trying to think when it was I first got interested in military clothing, and if I'm honest, it was probably when I was very, very little. I think my kind of love of history and films probably started at the same time. I'd watch really old, oh, I say really old, but kind of like 1970s war films with my granddad. Um, and that was one of my favourite things to do and some of my happiest memories uh, of being a child. And one of my favourites that always stood out was A Bridge Too Far, which you heard the trailer to uh, just a moment ago. There, It's an absolutely star-studded film. I mean, there's Sean Connery and Michael Caine in the same film, so what's not to love? Um... But there's so much great fashion going on, and not particularly from the British soldiers. I always think the American GIs um, are the ones that always just uh, steal the show in terms of style. Um, I used to love playing armies when I was little, whether it was my, with my friends or on my own. Um, I remember always, I used to always dress in camouflage and I'd be hiding in the garden. And when my mum or dad would be shouting for me to come in for tea, I'd be hid in a bush, uh, <laughs> wearing camouflage head to toe. I had a little kind of GI helmet, and there was a little little bits on it where you could stick leaves in there. And I'd be sat in a bush. I'd be hiding away, and they couldn't find me. And I absolutely loved the idea. It's something to do with the fact that it's almost, I suppose, like DIY clothing. It's kind of, it's rough and ready. It's made to battle the element, the elements. It's long lasting, hard wearing. And um, being camouflage is pretty cool, isn't it? Um, but yeah, ever since, I've kind of just loved it. Um, I love the idea that it's utilitarian. Um, you never kind of... There isn't a situation where it doesn't look good, really. Um, it just wherever you end up throughout the day, uh, it's great. And it, it kind of works with loads of so many other looks as well. There's no wonder why so many countless subcultures have adopted it, I suppose. I personally really like the uh, shift from like uh, the what I call early Ivy to kind of late Ivy. Um, like the Ivy League look, where in the, uh, the early 60s, it was still very kind of waspy, kind of uh, uh, very smart. And towards the late 60s um, and into the 70s, um, you'd see students kind of uh, wearing the same kind of the Letterman jumper, the loafers, uh, the kind of the nice chinos, but they'd wear like an army jacket with it as well. And it was kind of almost a rebellious look at uh, what was going on in America at the time. A bit, uh, the Vietnam War was still going on longer than everyone thought it was going to, um, and it was almost kind of a bit of rebellion uh, against that. And these students that uh, were supposed to kind of um, be part of the system were now rebelling, and uh, they were wearing uh, bits of military uniform to class, which I find very cool, very cool indeed. Um, and one of the jackets they uh, may have been wearing at the time was the jungle jacket, um, officially known as the tropical combat coat. Um, it has a fascinating history tied to the needs of soldiers during the uh, Vietnam War. In the early stages of the conflict, American soldiers were equipped with standard olive green um, OG-107 uniforms, which were not ideally suited for the dense jungles 
and humid climate of Vietnam. Soldiers found these uniforms to be impractical as they were heavy, uh, didn't dry quickly, and lacked camouflage suitable for the environment they found themselves in. To address these shortcomings, the US military developed the Tropical Combat Uniform, TCU, which included the Jungle Jacket. The Jungle Jacket went through several iterations before reaching its final design. The initial Jungle Jacket prototypes were similar to the M1951 Field Jacket, but were made uh, of a lighter cotton poplin fabric and featured large bellowed pockets for carrying essentials. Um, The finalised Jungle Jacket design, introduced around 1963, included four large pocket flaps with uh, sorry four large pockets with flaps on the front uh, button closures and epaulettes on the shoulders it had adjustable sleeve cuffs and was made from a lighter weight ripstop fabric uh, that dried more quickly and was more suitable for the humid conditions initially the jungle jackets were produced in an olive green color however as the need for camouflage in the jungle environment became evident different camouflage patterns were introduced The most famous was the tiger stripe pattern, characterised in its distinctive black, green and brown stripes, through other patterns like the ERDL, um, Engineer Research and Development Laboratories, uh, camo were also utilised. As the war progressed, uh, soldiers often customised their jungle jackets by adding patches, unit insignias or other personal touches. Some uh, some soldiers actually removed the epaulettes for better comfort and alterations were made based on field feedback. The jungle jacket quickly became a symbol of the Vietnam War and was favoured by soldiers for its practicality, adaptability and comfort in the challenging jungle conditions. Its design influenced later military uniforms and elements of its functionality can be seen in modern combat attire. After the war, surplus jungle jackets became popular among civilians, collectors and those interested in military fashion due to their historical significance and practical design. Now, I recently got one and a, like I'm not surprised, but I kind of am how much I have worn it. It's become kind of... One probably one of my most favourite things in my wardrobe. I got one from All Blues Co in Leeds. Um, very much kind of like an Ivy style outfitters, but they do their own version of the jungle jacket. Um, and I got um, mine in a lovely classic olive green, but they also do uh, a mustard one, a navy one, and a gorgeous kind of dusty pink one. Um, but it kind of goes with everything. It's weird how smart it can look. If you put it with a nice... Um, Oxford shirt, some chinos and loafers there's something about it that just looks so so cool Just I ain't no psychiatrist, I ain't no doctor with degrees. 
Welcome back. You are, of course, listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio. Now, I hope you're enjoying the show. Um, I obviously love talking about clothes, and I particularly love talking about military-inspired clothing, which is tonight's theme, vintage military clothing. Um, So we've got lots more to dig through, as well as some great tunes that you um, already should be enjoying. Hopefully, we just had the doors light my fire there, but there's lots more of that to come. Right now, though, I want to look at World War II's influence, particularly uh, the American influence. And we're going to look at one of my favourite items now, um, or a range of my favourite items, and it is the US military flight jacket. Now, if you follow me on Instagram at Tom the Mod. Um, and my other social media uh, channels, you'll see that recently I've been wearing a G1 Aviator uh, by Real Hoxton, and I love it. Um, I think I mentioned the other day, um, it's one of those items of clothing that's really, really warm, it's really padded, but it doesn't look it. Um, It's got a removable uh, fur collar, but um, 
it looks really slick as a jacket. You kind of you don't need to wear uh, tons of layers to uh, keep warm, which is I love wearing layers, but sometimes it's nice not to think too much. Uh, it looks great just with like a black turtleneck or you know what anything underneath it, and it it looks really cool. Um, the history of the U.S. military flight jacket is rooted in the early days of aviation. Um, in the early 1900s, as aviators took to the skies, they needed protective gear against the cold and open air cockpits. The development of flight jackets progressed alongside aviation technology and warfare needs. There are several iconic types of flight jackets that have emerged throughout history. The Type A1. Introduced in the 1920s, the A1 was the first standardised flight jacket. Made from horsehide leather, it featured a button front, knit cuffs, a waistband, and it was used until the early 1940s. The A2, replacing the A1, the A2 became a um, standard issue during World War II. It featured a more tailored fit, a zipper front, and often had military insignia or squadron patches. The A2 is perhaps the most iconic flight jacket in history, and it's the one, of course, you would have seen Steve McQueen wear in The Great Escape. The B3. This jacket was designed for bomber crews flying at high altitudes in unpressurised cabins. Introduced during World War II, it was made from sheepskin with a large fur collar and was heavily insulated for warmth. The G1, so the one I mentioned just a moment ago, developed during World War II and continuing into the modern era, the G1 was designed for naval aviators. It 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 was made from goatskin leather and it has a button front and distinctive features like a bi-swing back for ease of movement. The MA1 uh, developed in the 1950s. The MA1 replaced leather flight jackets with a more lightweight design made from nylon. It was reversible, had a bright orange lining for visibility and became standard issue for pilots. And the skinheads that may be listening to the show will know this one, of course, I'm sure. Uh, The next one is uh, the CWU-45P and CWU-36P. These jackets were introduced in the 70s and are made from fire-resistant materials. They uh, were designed for all-weather use by air crews. These jackets, especially the A2 and MA1, have transcended their military origins and have become fashion icons. They are produced today by various manufacturers in both authentic military versions and fashion adaptations, like mine from Real Hoxton. Uh, The flight jacket's history reflects the evolution of aviation and military needs, while its timeless style uh, continues to captivate fashion enthusiasts. And I think that's what I love about it. Um, There's something... It's a lot of trust, isn't it? You know, well, if it's going to keep someone um, warm 20,000 feet up in the air, then it's going to keep me warm uh, walking the city streets when it's snow on the ground or just when it's a a bit of a windy uh, day. It keeps out the elements. And I love mine... I never really worn many leather jackets until I got my G1 and I I don't know it converted me. I love the jacket. It is uh, beautiful. It's got all of the bits and bobs I love about Harrington. Uh but it's great for winter. It really keeps you insulated, keeps you warm. I highly recommend getting one. It's truly an investment piece. 
This is the Gaumont British News, presenting the world to the world. They call them the Eagle Squadron. They wear the uniform of the Royal Air Force and they train under RAF instructors. But they're Americans, flying men over in Britain to help give Hitler a pasting. Their CO will be Squadron Leader Taylor under the administration of Group Captain Charles Sweeney. The idea for the organization of this squadron came from the Lafayette, Lafayette Flying Corps, which served with the French Army in the last war. Squadron Leader Taylor is to take command of the squadron. It is a great honor to be given command of a fighting squadron in the RAF. It, I feel it's an enviable peak to a rather busy flying career in the American Navy, in the United States Marines, and as, a, as an airline pilot. They've decided that this war is as much theirs as Britain's, so they're getting acquainted with machine guns as a change from crop dusting, stunt flying, and piloting the airmail. a sample of their flying.
Hello, welcome back. I'm Tom Hoy, and you're listening to a cut above right here on the Face Radio for this vintage military clothing special. Now, we're particularly looking at American uniforms this evening, and that is because uh, the American uniforms are the ones that kind of um, have remained most in uh, contemporary menswear, I think, and it's because uh, the pieces were so they were almost ahead of their time to the point where they were that kind of um, understated that they've remained kind of classics um, that, that just have slotted into civilian wardrobes so easily. Um, during World War II, um, American officer uniforms were distinctive in design and were often adapted from traditional military dress. The uniforms of that era had several elements that have influenced civilian fashion and are still seen in various forms today. Um, we mentioned pilot jackets um, just a moment ago uh, before all the songs there, um, the A2 and the G1. Um, but a item, a couple of items, in fact, but starting with one that I think uh, a lot of people have in their wardrobes but don't particularly know the um, kind of the, the military background that they have, of course, is the peacoat. Uh, the classic navy peacoat was originally worn by naval officers and sailors uh, during World War II. Its design, with a double-breasted front, broad lapels and a shorter length, was ideal for protection against the harsh maritime environment and it remains a staple in many winter wardrobes due to its warmth and enduring style. Um, the peacoat has a rich history that dates back to the early 18th century, and its origins can be traced to the naval forces of Europe, particularly the Dutch and British navies. The Dutch are often credited with the initial design of the peacoat, 
um, and it's said that the uh, word peak, uh, the Pico uh, name might have even originated from the uh, Dutch word pige, uh, which meant coarse wool. During the 18th century, the British Royal Navy adopted the Pico as part of their uniform for seafaring personnel. <clears throat> it was crafted from a heavy, durable wool blend, primarily designed to withstand the harsh maritime conditions. The coat typically featured a double-breasted front um, and the large lapels that we mentioned um, that could be flipped up to protect against the wind and cold and buttons that could be fastened uh, even while wearing gloves. Uh, the classic design of the Pico remained relatively consistent over the years, though there were variations in lengths and minor stylistic details. Um, its popularity transcended the military and found its way into, vil- uh, into civilian fashion due to its practicality, uh, warmth and timeless style. By the mid-20th century, the Pico had become a staple in men's and women's fashion, uh, recognised for its versatility and its enduring appeal. It gained popularity beyond naval circles and was adopted by various fashion designers, uh, further solidify- solidifying its place as a classic outerwear piece. The enduring design of the Pico has made it a uh, a true uh, fashion icon, um, retaining its association with maritime heritage while becoming a symbol of timeless style and functionality. Today, variations of the Pico are still widely available in fashion market in the fashion market, reflecting its adaptability and lasting appeal. Um, it's one of them. It's such an all rounder, isn't it? It kind of um, be, it can be dressed up or down. You can wear it to a formal event, or you can yeah. It, it's one of them. When in doubt, get yourself a Pico if you're unsure of what kind of if you want looking for like a minimal but smart coat, uh, a peacock. Peacoat, sorry, is a good way to go. Another item of clothing that you might not even know uh, originates in the military um, or kind of has been made popular in contemporary fashion by the military is a pair of chinos, um, khaki trousers or chinos, whatever you want to call them. And they're kind of, that that's probably the thing I wear the most and you don't really think about them being a um, like a military-inspired uh, piece. Officers often wore uh, khaki trousers or chinos as part of their uniform. These became popular among civilians post-war due to their durability and versatility, even becoming a standard in casual and business um, attire. Um, The history of chinos can be traced back to their origins as military garments, of course. Uh, The term chino itself originates from the Spanish word for Chinese, referring to the cloth used to make uh, these pants. Here's a rundown of their evolution. Uh, Chinos have their roots in the mid-19th century, in the mid-19th century, when the British and French military forces stationed in India and the southeast of Asia saw lightweight and durable uniforms suitable for the tropical climates. They they utilised a twill fabric made of cotton, often sourced from China, Hence the term Chino, as mentioned before. In the early 20th century, the US military adopted these lightweight cotton twill pants for their soldiers. They were part of the standard issue uniform due to their breathability, durability and versatility in warmer climates. After World War II, returning American soldiers continued wearing chinos as part of their civilian wardrobe 
popularizing them as casual pants. Their practicality, comfort, and casual aesthetic contributed to their widespread acceptance beyond military circles. Chinos have gained popularity in the mainstream fashion scene during the latter half of the 20th century, when they became a staple of men's fashion. Uh, because of how versatile they were, they kind of go with everything. They're great again. I keep saying it, but they're great for kind of every occasion. I probably I used to kind of. Jeans were my thing for a lot of years. I do love a pair of jeans, but I'd say on most days I am wearing chinos. They kind of, if I think of anything in my wardrobe, just about all of it will go with a pair of chinos. And you can get some amazing ones now um, for not that, uh, not lots of kind of, not a lot of money really. If I love my Uniqlo ones, uh, they're just a standard straight leg, um, and because of the hem on the bottom, you can do a great uh, just one turn up and it sits there um they're lovely um they're comfortable and i think that's obviously why soldiers loved them and they carried on wearing them after the war again it's that thing of um something that's built for purpose built for extreme conditions means for everyday life when it's not extreme it means they're just going to be good all-round items of clothing that you can trust and you won't want to throw away any time soon clothing built to last the more i get into uh the american military look i love the look of kind of the uh 40s american officer wider chinos um i remember it's funny when, like, when i was 16 it was all about everything had to be skinny and like that oh it makes me cringe to even think like that now but now everything has to be wide and um yeah the more i get into that the wider everything has to be and it doesn't mean wider uh, it doesn't mean that wider's isn't uh kind of as formal or as smart it um it can look really smart when it's done right and there is some great pairs of chinos out there that have that wonderful wide american look september 12 1943 German paratroopers snatch Mussolini from his mountaintop prison in Italy. The event stuns the world. Inspired by the rescue of his ally, Hitler orders an even more daring bid to capture his greatest enemy. The explosive events of Jack Higgins' international bestseller, now seen as they happened in a film of epic suspense. The Eagle Has Landed. I want you to go to England for me. Colonel, I barely know you. To assist in the kidnapping and safe return to Germany of Winston Churchill. The mission, to seize Churchill at the moment when danger is least expected. Now, a man to lead it, Carl. Oberst Kurt Steiner, commanding the 12th Parachute Detachment. Late autumn 1943, the secret invasion of England begins. What the hell's going on, Haley? Damn the fine hook. Oh, Now, oh, calm down, Pablo. Tell me what's happening. Colonel Miller and his men, they're not Polish. They're Germans. And they're going to try and kidnap Church. What? Now, this Churchill business. I'll feel that once it's seen through. If anything happens to Churchill, because you're late, this country's going to swing you from Big Ben by your... Suddenly, the peace of an English village is shattered by German paratroopers. What if Churchill prefers to die? What if 
abduction becomes assassination. A race against time to save Britain's war leader. Get the men in position. Don't let anyone out of the village. And once anyone comes in, they stay in. A soldier of fortune, whose one weakness is the woman he loves. You don't know the first thing about me. Because if you did, you'd know that I much prefer warm autumn afternoon under the pines. A girl whose love is about to be betrayed. It may not win the war, but it would make them think about a negotiated peace. I never betrayed anything in my life that I believed in. They're going to try and kill Churchill. The time has come, Mr. Devlin, when I no longer control events. They control me. Go, Ben! Go, Mallory! The most exciting adventure story of World War II. Millions have read the book. Now an international cast brings dramatically to life on the screen this epic story of Hitler's desperate attempt to change the course of history. Stunning, exciting, inspiring, a film you must not miss. The Eagle Has Landed. I'm Tom Hoy, you're listening to A Cut Above on The Face Radio. I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, on X at TomTheModDJ, and on Facebook over on my page, Tom Hoy. Go and give him a like and say hello. But in the meantime, it's this.
fitness, intelligence, initiative, character. Those are the essentials for a British parachutist, and there has been no shortage of volunteers to fill the bill. It isn't easy to depict the last three of those qualities on the screen. You can only judge from the type of men you see. But physical fitness is demonstrated here. The men selected all have magnificent physique. A few weeks of this training brings them to a climax of bodily perfection. Toughest kind of boxing is part of the training, but there's another kind of fighting that's tougher still. That instructor has a dirty look in his eye. Get that man! Off a ten-foot platform, how to fall without a sprain. Then the parachute team learns the drop through a hole in a dummy fuselage. Parachutist must be able to operate his parachute in the air. He must be able to check its direction, prevent its swinging in a gusty wind. Under the expert tuition of an RAF instructor, the parachute troops learn the care of their parachutes. They learn to pack them with exactitude. Here lies the difference between a safe landing and a terrible death. This is a lesson that repays every minute spent in the learning. 
within the British Army, the beret uh, is something that's worn by soldiers day to day. And of course, one of the most iconic regiments known for their beret is the Parachute Regiment with their signature red berets that are a, 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 one of those things that's kind of extremely difficult to earn. Once you've earned it, you're a Parachute Regiment soldier for life. But the berry has a long and varied history, originating from headwear worn by peasants and shepherds in the Pyrenees region between France and Spain. Its practicality and simplicity made it popular amongst various groups before it became an iconic part of military attire. The beret's roots can be traced back to the Basque region, where it was worn as a functional and versatile head covering by farmers and shepherds. Its design, a soft, round, flat-crowned hat made of wool or felt, made it suitable for various weather conditions. The beret gained prominence in the 19th and early 20th centuries when it was adopted by various military units. French chasseurs alpines, alpine hunters, were among the first to incorporate the beret into their uniform in the late 19th century, owing to its practicality in the mountainous terrain. During World War II, the beret gained wider recognition and use among various military forces. The British commandos and SAS famously wore black berets, and the SAS had the tan berets. The United States military also began to adopt berets, especially the green beret for the special forces. Post-World War II, many military units worldwide incorporated berets into their uh, into their dress uniforms, often using them to signify uh, specific units, roles, or specialities. For example, as we mentioned before, the maroon beret or red beret became associated with airborne units. Beyond the military, though, the beret became a fashion icon. It gained popularity in civilian fashion circles, worn by artists, intellectuals, and those seeking distinctive style. The beret became a symbol of counterculture and rebellion in some instances, like we mentioned before with the jungle jacket. Today, though, berets are worn in various capacities, as a fashion statement, cultural emblem, and still is a part of military uniforms worldwide. They have evolved in style and materials, but they retain their distinctive round flat shape. The beret's evolution from a practical head covering to a symbol of military prowess, fashion and identity reflects its enduring appeal and versatility across different cultures and contexts. When I was in my early teens, I was in the uh, Air Cadets, um... And we had to wear berets. And I remember having to mould the beret to your head. It it kind of like, it wouldn't just naturally sit like that, that kind of sloped down to one side of your head. Um, what we had to do is you had to put them on your head. We had to fill up a bucket of uh, lukewarm water. You'd dunk your head in there. Uh, you'd mould the beret and you had to sit with it soaking on your head for hours until it eventually almost dried and it had uh, moulded. But, yeah, it felt a very old-fashioned way of doing it, but it, all in all, it felt very, uh, it felt very military, very, I felt like I was um, Sean Connery in the Parachute Regiment, for sure, in A Bridge Too Far. It was very cool at the time. But um, we've mentioned a lot of items of clothing, haven't we, that... 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Um fit in today's wardrobes and a beret is a thing that like I don't know. Um I wish I could pull it off. It's very cool. A few people can pull off a beret very, very well. And I think if you can, absolutely flaunt it. It's a really cool look. And it's um, maybe not as a, a as much of a versatile one as some other items I've mentioned. But nevertheless, it is one worth mentioning.
by the spring of 1940. Germany had virtually crushed every country on the continent. Now all that stood between them and the rest of the world was a handful of young British pilots in a handful of untried airplanes. short span of just a few months, Europe had been crushed in the steel fist of Germany. A stunned world watched as nation after nation was bombarded into submission. What's left of your army abandoned its weapons at Dunkirk. You're defenseless and just playing for time. We can walk into Britain whenever we like. Don't threaten or dictate to us until you're marching up Whitehall. Two sections, Strambo! of Britain was about to begin. The German air machine, proud and defiant, prepared for its invasion of England. The battle would be fought in the sky, with the mightiest air force in history against a handful of courageous young men and a handful of Spitfires. The essential arithmetic is that our young men we have to shoot down their young men at the rate of four to one. But also they should bounce that side! Never fly straight and level for more than 30 seconds in the combat area. We must learn to get up from standby in two minutes flat if they're to intercept the enemy. How many hours on spits? Ten, sir. Seven, sir. Stick to me like glue. <laughs> Spitfires, Heinkels, Stukas, Messerschmitts, the actual machines of war that fought in the most monumental air battle of all time, the Battle of Britain. Be. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back. I'm Tom Hoy. That was Jefferson Airplane with Today. You're, of course, listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio for this military vintage clothing special. When I was thinking of what uh, kind of brands and things I should mention on this show, one sprung to mind that isn't necessarily a an obvious one, but I think it's a really cool one and it's something you might not think of straight away. Um, I post about them a lot and I, I really like to wear them. But um, that is, of course, Supergas. Um, if you're unsure what Supergas are, uh, Superga is a brand and it is an Italian footwear brand known for I- its iconic sneakers, particularly the Superga 2750 model, which has become a staple in fashion. The brand's history dates back to 1911 when it was founded in Turin, Italy by Walter Martini. Initially, uh, Superga focused on producing rubber-soled footwear, including boots and vulcanised rubber shoes. During World War I, uh, Superga supplied the Italian army with sturdy and reliable footwear. Their production expanded uh, to include shoes for various purposes, including sports and everyday wear. The association between Superga and the Italian military navy plimsoll, or sneaker, specifically the Kotu Classic 2750 style, isn't direct, but the Superga 2750 shares similarities in design with traditional plimsolls used in various military contexts. Plimsolls, originally known as plimsoll shoes, were lightweight sneakers with canvas uppers and rubber soles. They gained popularity in the early 20th century, especially in naval usage, due to their comfort, flexibility and practicality for sailors, uh, and these shoes were often referred to as sand shoes or gutties. Uh, Superga's 2750 model, with its canvas upper, rubber sole and timeless design, embodies the qualities of these tra- traditional plimsolls. While not specifically designed for military use, the style and functionality of the Superga sneakers might draw inspiration from or share common features with the plimsolls used in military contexts, including the Navy. Over time, Superga sneakers have transcended their military associations and become a fashion icon, worn by people worldwide for their comfort, versatility and classic design. And it's funny now they have many kind of high street shops and they're this global brand. I love mine and it's such a shame. They don't really seem to do the 2750 model anymore. Um, I've got a white pair and a black pair with uh, white gum and it's such a shame why they stopped that I will never know but um, an absolute beautiful plimsoll and if I find some brand new in a shop I will be very tempted just to buy them because um, 
I dread that they'll never bring back that design because they've changed them now. And if you have a look at them, if you're not familiar with them, you'll find that it has it's got a different uh, kind of toe gum at the front. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, you're probably bored out of your head. But uh, Plimpsoles uh, by Superga are great, and they've uh, recently changed the design, which is an utter shame. So uh, Superga, Mr. Superga, if you're listening, please bring back the 2750 model because they're gorgeous. But yeah, if they're listening, do us a favour, bring them back. Anyway, end of rant. I was just thinking as well, something I find quite interesting with uh, military, uh, vintage military clothing and um, the, the fact that it can go two ways. There's like the brands that start off kind of like that, like Superga, originally a military brand that have gone on to become like a global fashion brand. Um but all this like army surplus that's knocking about now, and it's so easy to get. There's um, in Manchester where I am. There's I think just about every kind of vintage clothing shop you can go in there, and there are so many things imported from America. And with this big kind of workwear boom uh, that's happened in um, recent years, kind of people are looking for harder wearing clothing and. Um, I've said it countless times in this episode, I know, but uh, military clothing is the one, one of the first places you should go to. Uh, fabrics like Ripstop that um, does exactly what it says on the tin um, are just great if that's the look you, you're going for. Um, there's um, all sorts of different materials that just lend themselves uh, really well to uh, people looking for that kind of thing, I suppose. Historically, most clothing, uh, military clothing, was sewn by hand using techniques like uh, backstitching, running stitch, or whip stitching. Military uniforms were often tailored to fit shoulders properly, allowing for ease of movement whilst uh, maintaining a uniform appearance. Um, Elaborate embroidery was used to denote rank, regiment, or specific military honours on uniforms. Particularly in colder regions, though, Uh, Quilting was used in military clothing to add warmth and insulation. Um, Historically, going years back for armour and uh, uh, metal works, uh, for armour and protective gear, metal pieces were crafted and sometimes linked together using rivets uh, or other fastening methods. Um, Different colours were achieved using natural dyes made from plants, insects or minerals, Uh, decorative elements like braids and frog closures were used on non-military clothing to add embellishments or and to denote status or rank Uh, techniques like plating uh, pleating sorry or gathering were used for decorative purposes or to provide flexibility and movement in certain garments Um, corsetry lacing buttons hooks and clasps were used uh, for closures and to ensure a snug fit Um, And strategic layering of clothing was often employed for both protection and comfort, especially in harsh weather conditions. These materials and techniques varied across cultures, time periods and specific military needs, resulting in a rich diversity of styles and designs in historic military clothing. And I know that doesn't kind of all uh, go hand in hand with the workwear things I I I was talking about, maybe kind of not the frogging and braiding, but they have kind of um, influenced lots of other styles, haven't they? Like, look at kind of rock stars in the 60s. Mick Jagger was wearing kind of 
um, a London guard's tunic. And it it's just, it's funny how uh, the military really does almost inspire everything. They say, don't they, that um, the most creativity often comes out of times of like conflict or hardship. And that's because, um, I suppose, the best is um, needed from everyone. So all these amazing new fabrics are being created um, and all the rest of it. So it's kind of from something as prolific as World War II, there was such a hangover of all these materials that we kind of didn't need as much anymore. So it only made sense that they were adopted by civilians. Military clothing has historically been at the forefront of functionality and and utility due to the demanding nature of combat environments. Innovations in military clothing have led to advancements in various areas, including uh, material technology, development of advanced fabrics like Gore-Tex, Kevlar and Nomex, offering durability, water resistance, flame resistance and breathability, uh, moisture wicking, wicking fabrics, fabrics designed to draw sweat away from the body, keeping soldiers dry and comfortable in varying climates. Uh, modularity, clothing with modular designs, allowing soldiers to uh, adapt their gear based on mission requirements by adding or removing components like pouches, armour or pockets. Uh, camo technology, which we mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, body armour and protective gear, uh, gear. Innovations in lightweight and more protective body armour. Helmets and gloves enhancing soldier safety without compromising mobility. Um, integrated electronics. Clothing designed to incorporate electronic components. Components such as communication devices health monitoring systems for improved situational awareness and health tracking, Uh, climate-specific gear, uh, clothing for extreme climates, including cold weather gear, uh, desert-specific attire, tropics uh, tailored for comfort, performance in specific conditions. Um, And the list goes on. It's kind of... um, It's unfortunate that the kind of military and uh, war has to be at the forefront of um, technological advancements, but it's often the way it goes, isn't it? And uh, it's amazing, like, what uh, we've got through that, I suppose. Something I mentioned just a moment ago, and it's something definitely worth mentioning, is Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex is is highly regarded uh, waterproof and breathable fabric technology used in various outdoor clothing, footwear and gear. Developed by W.L. Gore and Associates, Gore-Tex is a membrane that is both waterproof and breathable, which means it keeps water out whilst allowing moisture from sweat to escape. The Gore-Tex membrane is made from expanded EPTFE, a material known for its uh, mycopurous structure. The structure consists of microscopic pores, that are smaller than water droplets, but larger than water vapour molecules, allowing sweat vapour to escape whilst preventing water uh, from penetrating the fabric. Uh, Key properties are waterproofness, breathability, durability and windproofness. Admittedly, it's not kind of an area that I'm much of an expert on, but... um, it's huge, particularly here in Manchester. I'm sure it's because it rains all the time. A Gore-Tex coat is a very uh, popular item of clothing here. Um, kind of like a zipper panorac with a hood. Uh, brands like the North Face, um, 
they do kind of like your bright colors um ideal for people going hiking and all that kind of thing so it's um obvious why the military would use that kind of fabric patagonia is a big one as well that's a big worldwide brand that uh another that i don't really know a lot about because it's not really a heritage brand i admire what they do but unfortunately i don't know a lot about them what i do know is though shameless plug you can go and follow me on instagram at oh this is awful on instagram at tom the mod on twitter or x or whatever at tom the mod dj on facebook at tom hoy and there's loads of youtube videos as well that uh you can go and check out clothing reviews and lots more and the best way to do that is to search for tom the mod over on youtube right now though it's time for this
It's been tough, rough going, but you haven't gone alone. We do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Think all that you can Hey, First Sergeant. Good morning. Find your future in the Army.
Publicized soldier since Napoleon, uh, Elvis Presley, with girlfriend Priscilla Beaulieu to see him off, was leaving Frankfurt at the end of his army service. So it was farewell to military glory and to 16-year-old Priscilla. What fame for that girl to have been a friend of the emperor of rock and roll. At Fort Dix, New Jersey, newsreels, TV, the press, the lot, told the world how Elvis came marching home. For 17 interminable months, the cats hadn't seen him. What a price to pay for national defense. But he was home at last, Nancy Sinatra at his side, and the pelvis was all set to take up his career where he laid it down to keep the enemies of Uncle Sam on their side of the curtain. And have you noticed we don't hear half so much talk of that Cold War nowadays? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Quiet, everybody. Elvis is going to speak to the nation. Sobering army life changed your mind about rock and roll? Sobering army life. Uh, no, it hasn't. It, it, it hasn't. It hasn't changed my mind because I was in tanks for a long time, you see. And uh, they rock and roll quite a bit. It's funny to think ever that kind of someone of Elvis's stature would, could have ever been a soldier. Elvis Presley's military service is a notable chapter in his life that showcased a different side of the iconic entertainer. 
1958, at the height of his career, Elvis received a draft notice from the US Army. Rather than seeking uh, deferment, he embraced his military duty, voluntarily enlisting for a two-year stint in the Army. The decision was widely praised and endeared, uh, endeared him further to the American public. Elvis underwent basic training at Fort Hood in Texas, where he went through the same rigorous training as any other recruit. Despite his celebrity status, he insisted on being treated like any other soldier. Now, you may be thinking, why am I mentioning Elvis in a vintage clothing uh, special when I should be talking more about the clothes? But it's funny, isn't it? Kind of, it shows the kind of link between pop culture and uh, kind of military clothing. True, Elvis wasn't wearing military clothing because he uh, wanted to he was wearing it because he had to but you kind of imagine the effect that must have had on uh the kind of young men that weren't in the military at the time that thought this man is so cool i want to look just like him and i'd say that is probably one of the main reasons um a lot of men kind of like military clothing it's aspirational in the sense that it's kind of it's a very kind of rugged look, isn't it? You kind of, um, it's almost like having a tattoo. It's kind of showing, look how fierce I am when really, um, it's kind of, it's not, you're just kind of wearing hard wearing clothes and you've never actually fought a day in your life. And there's also kind of the counterculture aspect, the kind of, um, the, uh, protest aspect of wearing military clothing, um, especially like like I mentioned earlier with the kind of the Ivy style, um, how students were doing that. But it's funny kind of Elvis doing that. Elvis's decision to serve in the military interrupted his music career at, the, at his peak. However, though, it also helped him grow personally and professionally. His service broadened his perspective, exposed him to different cultures and allowed him to interact with people with, from diverse backgrounds. Elvis's time in the army enhanced his public images, image and made him even more popular. His service was seen as patriotic and selfless, and it endeared him to a wider audience. The press closely followed his military journey, and his fans remained loyal throughout his service. Uh, after completing his military service in 1960, Elvis returned to the entertainment scene with renewed vigour. He resumed his music career and also transitioned into acting, starring in several successful films Elvis's time in the military was a pivotal period in his life it showcased his sense of duty humility and dedication to serving his country his decision to put his career on hold to fulfill his military obligations further solidified his place in American popular culture not just as a music icon but as a patriot and I would argue um, it made him more of a style icon there's no surprise kind of around that time, kind of, um, so many war films were being made in the 60s. It, um, it's, it's, it's funny, really, because there was all this kind of young men in Britain anyway kind of lived in their father's shadows of um, almost being, like, um, told, I fought in the war, what are you doing? Um, but kind of people like Elvis round in the... Um, uh, 50s and uh, leaving in 1960 having a pop culture icon to look up to like that and um, 
subsequently films like The Great Escape coming out where you've got style icons like Steve McQueen. If you weren't in the military, but you were kind of watching these films, the idea of a uh, uh, military uniform almost became a fashion trend. It became something to look up to. It was aspirational in the sense that it was kind of proving you were a man. And um, I think that was a big thing to kind of the guys that perhaps had parents that uh, had fought in the war, um, had helped with the war effort, and they, they hadn't done anything slightly like that um and it kind of aided the rebellion it was kind of like look dad i'm wearing a bit of army surplus which must have wound up uh fathers across the world um but it just goes to show that um clothing can be kind of uh, a part of protest and i think that's very much a, a coming of age thing uh, a subcultural thing um an amazing story that uh, military clothing has told beyond the battlefield and uh, part of youth culture and all the rest of it.
Uh, what a truly beautiful song that is. Pastor T.L. Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir with Like a Ship. Well, unfortunately, we have come to the end of another cut above right here on the Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy. And this was, of course, the Vintage Military Clothing special. There's, there was lots of information in there. I hope it was entertaining for you and I hope it wasn't too heavy. I just think there's a lot of ground uh, to cover that even still, I don't think we even quite scratched the surface. Military clothing is such an amazing topic. And as I said before, it's got a, such an amazing story, not just kind of uh, history of warfare, but kind of counterculturalism um, and all the rest of it. Um, a really cool story. And I'd love to know what military-inspired uh, clothing outfits, uh, vintage pieces you've picked up and all the rest of it. Remember, you can find me on social media where I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on social media, at Tom the Mod on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find my page, Tom Hoy. And you can also find me on Twitter uh, or X. That's so weird these days, isn't it? I've, let's call it X or whatever. You can find me on X, uh, Tom the Mod DJ, and over on YouTube where you can find lots of videos. Um, also, a cool little bit of news right now. I have done um, another article for the wonderful uh, Detail Magazine, um, a quarterly print magazine about all things mod and modernist. Um, I'm going to be in issue 10, uh, which is may even be out by the time this uh, podcast goes out but uh, I'm in issue 10 uh, talking about Ivy style um, and why I love it so much Uh, and the cover of the magazine has Michael Caine on it and you can go and buy it at detailmaguk.com it's fantastic and there's some other brilliant articles in there um mark baxter's written one michael kane and get carter and i personally can't wait to read that one so go and grab a copy detailmaguk.com but for now though all that is left is for me to say bye to you thanks so much for listening to the end i really hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll be back again next month with another one but now it's time to end on the signature song for the show it's one of my favorite tunes ever it's horace silver song for my father Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.